0: The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you.
1: And a pleasant good morning. Brian Barrett here on this Veterans Day, a day that we honor those who have served, and uh, we've got a special program coming up. A bit later on, we're going to hear from one of our area's World War II veterans, Bill Allen, who was on uh, the Truman Show many years ago, and uh, Bill was... Um, you know, there in Normandy on D-Day and uh, what a story he has to share. So that's coming up a bit later on in the program. But right now we've got uh, VA Tennessee Valley Healthcare System Deputy Executive Director Mike Renfro joining us here today and lots to discuss about our local VA. Good morning. How are you, Mike?
2: Hey, good morning, Brian. Good morning, everyone. Uh, hope everyone's staying safe out on this uh, less than beautiful morning
1: yeah it is uh nice and rainy and but uh it, it's still a good day for us to um you know pause remember our veterans we've got a special ceremony uh that takes place at 11 o'clock here in uh, in rutherford county today so um and i know that that's on your heart as as well we're going to talk a lot about that but tell me a little bit about yourself um how did you get involved with the uh, va tennessee valley Healthcare system
2: yeah thanks uh and hopefully the the sun comes out before we start mm. having our parades and celebrations this afternoon absolutely uh, so I grew up in uh, in Tennessee I grew up in Memphis and uh, about 20 years ago exactly uh, left Memphis joined the Air Force uh, did one four uh, one four-year stint there basically got off active duty on a Friday uh, and came to VA uh, as soon as I ended my uh, my enlistment so between uh, being in the Air Force and uh, being with the VA, those are the only two things that I, I really know. Uh, traveled around quite a bit over the last uh, 20 years, and about 14 months ago, had the opportunity to come back uh, to Tennessee uh, and uh, take on a leadership role here at Tennessee Valley. So I'm uh, I'm happy to be back in Tennessee. The family's happy for me to be back in Tennessee. The mom's happy. Uh, so I am, uh, I'm glad to be here and, uh, uh, I'm where I want to be and uh, have a great opportunity here.
1: Well, that's one thing that military service does give us is the opportunity to travel, doesn't it? (laughs)
2: Yeah. I, you know, I saw uh, a lot of the world.
1: Well, that's, that's awesome. But it's, you know, where your roots are and, and I'm sure your extended family loves to have you back in the volunteer state.
2: They, they do. Uh, my mom's going to be very upset if I ever leave again.
1: <laughs> so now do you have uh, children, that kind of thing too?
2: No, it's just uh, just me and the dog. So uh, when I got the, uh, I was in Dallas before this, so when I had the opportunity to come here, it was a quick and easy decision. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have to think about it at all.
1: All right, so I'm a dog guy too. So what, what type of dogs?
2: <laughs> uh, she's a uh, three-year-old English pointer mm. uh, named uh, Blanche. So, she's, uh, she's got some Golden Girls in her.
1: I was just gonna say, you must be a Golden Girls fan.
2: Oh yeah, I uh, I uh, my all my extended family, everyone's from Tennessee, going back, you know, more than a hundred years. So, I was raised by my primarily by my grandmother out in uh, in the Memphis area. So that was a uh, that was a nice uh, thing that she and I did together. So that that's her enduring memory.
1: So you were sharing that you. Uh, we're in the Air Force for four years, and then uh, just very quickly into the the VA healthcare system. So, uh, what was your draw to the Veterans Administration? And we'll talk more about how that drew you here to Middle Tennessee uh, more in a second. But, I mean, that was a a pretty immediate transition. You said,
2: "Yeah." So, I'm going to be completely uh, transparent. I tell all our new employees this, uh, and I hear this often. Uh, When I got off active duty, I was in my early 20s, I didn't have much of a conception of what the VA was. I knew about cemeteries, I knew about uh, hospitals, uh, but those weren't things that I was thinking about in my early 20s. I wasn't thinking about being in a hospital, certainly not thinking about being uh, in one of our national cemeteries or buying a home with a VA homeowner or any of that other stuff. So it was purely accidental. And I hear that often from our employees, uh, folks like social workers who come here for an internship, have a vague conception of what the VA is and find some sort of home here, make it a career. And so uh, I knew very little about the VA. My father is a veteran, uh, doesn't speak much about his service or about his time in, Vietnam-era guy, uh, but got here, uh, didn't really have a career plan, again, in my early 20s, wasn't thinking career. Uh, and just really had such incredible opportunities. Uh, worked for some uh, really amazing people, uh, and 17 years later, uh, I wouldn't be anywhere else.
1: 17 years—that I, I was kind of thinking maybe that was a, a little quicker turnaround. But uh, you've you've been in for a long time here, so it's obviously you found your passion,
2: uh, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I don't know where those 17 years went, but they went pretty quickly. <laughs>
1: So when when you say yeah, I work for the VA, I'm sure that you probably get this question from folks who aren't familiar. Well, what is it that the VA is and what it does? And have you gotten down like your one minute speech on here's everything that we can I can tell you in a, in one minute? If you've got that speech down, what would that be to our listeners out there?
2: Yeah. So uh, our number one goal is to meet you where you're at. So if you're just getting off active duty, what are those things, and you're, say, 23, what are those things that you need to do to get set up for success? So career services, getting enrolled in healthcare early so we can establish a lifelong relationship with you. If you're a little bit older and you're retiring, uh, maybe you're thinking about buying a house or going back to school, or maybe you have some uh, health issues at that point that you need to uh, take care of. Uh, As you're getting a little older, uh, maybe you need to be thinking about Uh, end-of-life care or planning uh, your preferences for your funeral uh, and burial service with our cemetery administration. Uh, So basically, if you need something in life, we can either provide it, education, home loans, health care, et cetera, or work with our amazing community partners to get you linked to the right resources that are going to help you be successful. But that meeting people where they're at means that it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. Uh, So what my dad needs uh, at 76 is very different than than what I need or very different than what a young guy or gal getting off active duty today is going to
1: need. You know, and that's exactly where my brain was going. I mean, you mentioned that 20 mid-20s that uh, has just finished their military service to veterans who are in their seventies and eighties. So, I mean, it's, it's such a wide range. You, you have to be pretty versatile in what's offered and uh, I'm assuming pretty individualized as well.
2: Yeah. Individualized and, and it's rapidly changing, you know, and I'm, I don't mean this to sound negative at all, but I always tell uh, our new employees when they come in the VA that you're coming into today is very different than what the VA was built for. So the campus in Murfreesboro or Alvin C. York campus was opened in the early 1930s. So if you think about the population that campus served, mostly men coming out of World War uh, I. Uh, and then we had some massive expansion after World War II and then again after Vietnam. Uh, but the demographics are changing rapidly. Uh, women veterans are our fastest growing demographic today uh, and that will continue as more and more women join the military. Uh, so, providing services that meet their needs uh, means we have to change how we think about uh, ourselves as an institution and how we deliver that care. And the great thing is, is uh, we're we're well ahead. You know, we're we're doing uh, uh, things that if my father walked into this VA fifty years ago would not recognize. Uh, providing care to women, providing LGBTQ care uh, to that population. Uh, so it's really. A very different VA than even when I came in 17 years ago.
1: From the VA Tennessee Valley Healthcare System, Deputy Executive Director Mike Renfro joining us today, and having a VA campus not only here in Middle Tennessee, but one in Murfreesboro. There's one in Nashville, obviously, but you know we're we're pretty fortunate here in Middle Tennessee to have two areas to service a huge uh, service area, if we can call it that.
2: Yeah, and it, it's even bigger than that. So yes. when I first uh, <laughs> when I first was uh, looking at coming here, and I looked at the how, how big this institution is, I, I was I was blown away. So we are one of the uh, largest healthcare systems in the VA. Out of about 150 healthcare systems, uh, we're in the top 10. Uh, we're also one of the fastest growing. So easiest way to describe it is we've got the I 24 corridor. So start down in Chattanooga, Murfreesboro, Nashville, and up to Clarksville. Uh, so we got a lot of growth coming into the area, a lot of expansion uh, to our system. Uh, just opened a brand new uh, a large clinic down in Chattanooga two years ago, uh, opening a big uh, 250,000 square foot clinic up in Clarksville. Uh, a lot of modernization to both our Nashville campus, which opened in the 1960s, uh, and down at uh, at York and Murfreesboro, uh, that opened again in the 1930s. So we are... We are growing uh, incredibly fast, which is fortunate for the healthcare system. Uh, so it's, it's nice to have additional people move in and bring additional money, but that just means we get to reinvest in services and expand those out to, to all veterans. You
1: know, Mike, I've been a lifelong Rutherford County, and so and and lived and and still do in the area where the uh, York campus is located, and. I I never imagined. I nev- never knew. You taught me something today that that campus was there some thirty odd years before Nashville.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. That was uh, there was another location here in Nashville that was open before the the current one connected uh, in the in the hospital uh, area with Vanderbilt and Children's and, and all the other hospitals. But yeah, this one here in Nashville opened uh, opened in the sixties.
1: It's uh one of those areas I, I think here in rutherford county it's it's a place that maybe you pass if you live in the north end uh, of murfreesboro you see uh, the campus there but maybe don't really understand what goes on and you have mentioned some great amazing things that uh, our veterans and, and the care that they can get there but as we grow as middle tennessee grows it, this is the hottest area in the country So, honestly, there are going to be more and more veterans moving in, I would think.
2: Yeah, right now uh, our system serves about 140, uh, and we also include, we're we're Tennessee Valley, but we have a a couple counties in southern Kentucky, uh, and we serve a handful of counties in northern Georgia connected to Chattanooga. But right now about 140,000 veterans in this area, we anticipate that will be closer to about 170 uh, by the end of this decade. Uh, so we're already uh, got plans in place to open new buildings by then, plans in place to expand new services uh so we can meet that demand uh when it as it's coming and when it's finally here when it peaks
1: You've mentioned you know the the versatility in terms of of meeting veterans where they are despite age and career service and and things of that nature. So you have to be very flexible. I'm sure that flexibility has to work within the uh, the future as well with expansions and with more people and uh, services. I mean, gosh, with what's changed just in your 17 years there, the next 17 years, uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to imagine what it could be like.
2: Yeah, I, <laughs> I wouldn't venture a guess if you'd have asked me that question in uh, January of 2020. I may have had an answer for you, and then COVID knocked and uh, kind of radically transformed not only VA healthcare, particularly when it comes to the delivery of virtual services and remote services, but changed healthcare. period. Uh, the idea of uh, expanding telehealth and telemedicine and mental uh, telehealth and telemedicine. And we're doing so many incredibly uh, cool things these days with uh, remote technology. For example, we opened a clinic down in Columbia uh, a couple months ago. Uh, And instead of having those veterans drive to Nashville for certain types of eye exams, we're able to do them remotely where a tech facilitates the exam and someone here in Nashville is able to read that exam. Those things didn't exist several years ago. So our goal is to get as many of the services as close to the veteran where they live as possible. Now, that can't do that for everything, right? We're not going to be able to open uh, surgical suites and ORs everywhere, Uh, but for those things like your eyes, audiology, hearing aids, a huge issue with with veterans with hearing loss. We want to get those things as close to the veteran as possible.
1: And, Mike, um, we could go a lot of different places with COVID, but the one thing that I I want to try to dig deeper into is, yes, COVID forced us to do some things that were – out of the ordinary and uh challenged us in in many ways but it sounds like on the other side of that it also offered an expansion and a way to meet veterans uh and maybe even more veterans
2: absolutely you know an unfortunate truth of life is uh growth often comes out of adversity and so certainly acknowledge uh the the loss across uh country, across the world with COVID. Uh, but through that, I think we're going to come out stronger as a better healthcare system that's able to take advantage of things that, that again, maybe we weren't even thinking of before uh, 2020. So what it looks like 17 years from now, I, I, who, who even knows, you know? Uh,
1: it, the job didn't come with a crystal ball.
2: No, not at all. <laughs> not even day to day.
1: I can understand that. So uh, uh, a message here to our, our local veterans, those who are in our listening area, listening and, and maybe have not gotten connected with uh, VA Tennessee Valley. What would you encourage them to do as, as a first step to see how uh, the VA could come alongside them and support them? What, what would be some first steps you could give to our listeners?
2: Uh, call us. Call us. Uh, and if you're a, a spouse out there listening, uh, you know, I know my stepmom has to <laughs> nudge my father to get his health care sometime. Call on their behalf. We'll talk to you too. So uh, that number is 615-867-6000. 615-867-6000. Uh, and folks will will be able to answer your question and get you where you need to go.
1: Mike, any final thoughts here this morning from you?
2: Yeah, if I could, I'd like to leave you with two good news stories here on Veterans Day. Uh, So uh, I think you're you're probably well aware uh, veteran suicides are a crisis across the country. Uh, We've made uh, VA and our community partners really got to give so much credit to our community partners, significant strides in reducing veteran suicide. So we've gone from that 22-a-day number that you see uh, out and about to 17-a-day. We've seen a drastic reduction. 17 is still 17 too many, uh, and the goal is zero. But uh, that means every single day five more are alive than they were 10 years ago when that 22-a-day number was first put out. So really want to give kudos to our our team, our community partners at the federal level, the state level, the local level, the nonprofits that are really working tirelessly to end veteran suicide. Uh, And more good news that just came out this week. Uh, In 2010, on any given night, we had about 70,000 veterans that were homeless. So uh, today, that number is about 33,000. We've cut that number in more than half. And, again, that's a huge uh, uh, team effort by us, by our community partners, by the state and local governments. Uh, Our goal there is still zero. Uh, So if you're a veteran that's experiencing homelessness, Uh, We have services for you. We have community partners uh, that can help you uh, get back on your feet, uh, meet you where you're at, get you the services that you need. And then I have one ask of all your listeners. Absolutely. 988. 988. You dial 988, you get the suicide crisis line. You press 1, you talk to a team of folks that are trained specifically to deal with veteran crisis. Our team here at Tennessee Valley this year alone, 2,500 calls uh, that they fielded from veterans in crisis contemplating or thinking about suicide where they've been uh, able to immediately get those folks' services. Uh, 988, Uh, I'm gonna just be transparent here and just be blunt, I mean, uh, there's been over a dozen times in my 17 years where I've been able to pick up the phone, dial the old number, it just changed to 988, it used to be a longer number. Uh, pick up the phone, dial the old number, and get someone crisis care immediately. And that number is not just for veterans. If you know anyone in crisis, anyone contemplating suicide, anyone that's thinking of harming themselves, dial 988. Take that step. Saving someone's life is such an incredible thing because uh, any of us can do it. We don't have to be trained mental health providers. Uh, we don't have to. We don't have to know anything about anything to pick up a phone, dial 988. Uh, and save someone's life. So please take a moment, put that in your phone, and take a, take a second and think about what you would do if you were in that situation where someone was in crisis. That way you're prepared if you're ever, unfortunately, in that situation.
1: Mike, wonderful information this morning. Thanks so very much for joining us today, and uh, don't be a stranger. We'll have uh, a segment for you anytime you need to spread the word about uh, the VA Tennessee Valley Health Care System.
2: Yeah, be careful what you ask for because I'll take you up on it.
1: Uh, well, we're here. All <laughs> right, thank you. Appreciate. I appreciate that. you
2: so much. Thank you.
1: Absolutely, great conversation this morning with Mike Renfro again, Mike uh, from the VA Tennessee Valley Healthcare System, the Deputy Executive Director, joining us on this Veterans Day. We'll continue the program in a moment.
0: Hello this is Amanda from Animal City inviting your family to come do business with my family. Don't let your dog be bored this fall. Come see us at Animal City for some of the best toys to keep them entertained and engaged. Come see us at Animal City and let our 32 years experience benefit you and your pets. Come check out our selection here at Animal City. We have freshwater, saltwater, corals and more. Animal City, 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro.
4: This is Peter Demas at Demas' Restaurant. Demas offers gift cards that you can get in any value. You know, those times where someone gives you gifts you weren't really prepared, it's one of those things that's nice and easy to hand back out, but they're amazing gifts for teachers, for family and friends, and we always offer specials depending on how many gift cards that you get as well. You can go straight down to the restaurant, and our cashiers are happy to help you with any of those gift cards. Demas's Restaurant, 1115 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. SRM Concrete. With every new day, every sunrise, we build structures that stand
1: the
3: test of time. And upon their foundations are our homes, where we work, where our kids go to school. And with that
1: comes tremendous pride. We don't just make concrete. We build relationships, trust, confidence, We're SRM Concrete, build with us. Good morning. Several accidents being cleared over in the Nashville area. It's moving right now fairly decent actually on 24 going westbound. Between Murfreesboro and Nashville as you head up through the Hickory Hollow area, lots of radar this morning coming down I-24 through Coffee County. Allow yourself a little bit of extra time. Nash Painting is Middle Tennessee's number one residential and commercial painters. Check them out online today at
2: nashpainting.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic.
1: We'll see a few spotty showers and thunderstorms here early this afternoon. Otherwise, cloudy skies high in the upper 60s. Northwest winds of 5 to 15, gusting as high as 20. I'm meteorologist Jennifer scan on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 59. So it looks like the heaviest of this rain will kind of push further up to the north and east by, oh, noon, 1 o'clock or so. So, um... What you see is what you get here for the next several hours on this Veterans Day. And uh, that is a look at your forecast here this morning from News Radio, WGNS. More of the action line coming up here in just a couple of moments. We are going to be uh, catching up with um, Truman Jones and Truman's conversation with Bill Allen our World War II veterans from right here in Rutherford County, a segment I think you'll enjoy, a little flashback here on this Veterans Day. That's coming up as we continue here on News Radio WGNS. If your job situation is changing because of layoffs or restructuring, you may have to make several decisions. One important decision may be what to do with your retirement plan. Make sure your retirement stays on track. I'm Lee Colvin, your Edward Jones Financial Advisor, and I'd like to help. Stop by our office in the Public Shopping Center on South Rutherford Boulevard or give us a call at 615-907-7056 for a face-to-face appointment. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. What do you like
3: most about Adams Place? Another good thing about Adams Place is if my health gets worse and I need more care, they have the facility here for me just to transfer up there.
1: We're talking with Betty Atterbury.
4: You know, as I
3: need more care, I can go to another place right here,
4: Adams Place. I'm Terry Deal. Call me for more information about Adams Place.
1: 1927 Memorial Boulevard, across from Walmart.
0: If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. I'm Richard McCann, your home improvement guru. Now, for just a minute, I'm going to be talking to people of a certain age, meaning 45 years and older, much like myself. I recently turned 50, and I told you a couple of weeks ago, the doctor said it was time for a certain test, that I was not looking forward to a colonoscopy. Now, I want to say, everybody told me, oh, it's no big deal. And to be honest with you, it really wasn't. I mean, sure, you're going to spend two days, uh, well, running back and forth to the bathroom. I advise to uh, take a couple of days off. But the procedure itself was absolutely nothing. They knocked me out so cold. Next thing I know, I wake up and they're saying, hey, it's over. Now, it's a good thing I went because, to be honest with you, they found eight polyps. And now, instead of every 10 years, I've got to go in for every three. So get the colonoscopy done once you hit 45. Stay healthy. I'm Richard McCann, and I am your home improvement guru. The action line continues here from
1: the MTE studios. Middle Tennessee Electric supplying power to the station's 328 foot tower in downtown Murfreesboro. MTE serving to make life better since 1936. All right, conversation with uh, World War II veteran Bill Allen. Scott's going to take you here through the rest of the program here on the action line from News Radio WGNS.
0: Remembering and honoring those who served our country. D Day. WGNS's Truman Jones interviewed Bill Allen, who
2: worked as a medic for the U.S. Navy and who helped to save lives of our troops who were part of the invasion on D Day.
4: You were part of one of the biggest events in the history of the world, and that was D Day. You were there. That is your story. PBS gave you a call, and
3: they were looking for you one day. Home by myself, and this call came in, and uh, a gentleman identified himself as Doug Hamilton with PBS from New York City. He asked if I was in the 300th Battalion of the Combat Engineers, and I told him no, I was in the Navy. And he said, "Oh, I said were well, you in chance on the LST 523?" I said, "Yes, I was." He said, well, were you only when it was sunk?" I said, "Yes, I was." Well, he said, "You're the one I'm looking for." He told me that. Uh, They were making this film for the anniversary of D-Day. wonder if I'd be interested in giving them an interview. Well, I thought it was going to be over the phone or somewhere or locally. He said, well, we'd like to fly you back to Normandy for a few days. Well, that really got my attention. He said, well, I'll call you back tomorrow. You discuss it with your wife. He called back the next day, and I told him that uh, we had decided to try to come. But I said, I do have one concern. He said, what's that? I said, I'd feel better if one of my daughters came with me. He said, I think that's very good thinking. We'll bring her, too. Now you've created another problem. He said, what's that? I said, I have two daughters, and I don't know which one to ask. So he said, well, we'll just bring them both. But that was how it all started, and within a matter of a week, maybe 10 days at the most, uh, we were on our way to France. You had
4: two memorable trips to that area, and I'm sure the last one was a whole lot more fun than the first one. (laughs) I felt a whole lot safer. Do you remember when all this was coming up? I know you do. When you got the word that you were heading over there to
3: France, the first time, first time. Uh Well, I had worked at the hospital, Naval Hospital in Millington, just out of Memphis, and we knew that we were being prepared for something. And uh, we went to Lido Beach, New York, where was thousands of Navy medics, and uh, as ships become available, they would put groups of forty on each ship, and We knew that we were headed for the invasion, but at that time, we didn't know just when. I landed in uh, Plymouth, England sometime in April, um, thereabouts, and uh, went to chemical warfare school for a couple of weeks, afraid that they were going to use gas or or some kind of chemicals. Then we made bandages. At that time, you didn't buy everything in a cellophane bag, but we made a lot of our own bandages, uh, particularly for burns. Mm -hmm. Generally got ready for uh, very bad situation we loaded and unloaded two or three times practicing and then one day we loaded and we didn't unload so we knew that uh, things were very close yeah, okay. now uh, the invasion was actually postponed one day because of bad weather we didn't hit the beach on h hour it was around noon when we got in but we were there d-day There, that night, we loaded casualties in, uh, tanks, uh, half-tracks, jeeps, and uh, equipment that they had. And the beach hadn't really been conquered at that time. Right. We unloaded in, I guess, four or five, maybe six foot of water. Now, we lost some of the troops that uh, went off the ramp in water so deep and the backpacks were so heavy they went under and never came up. In some cases it was almost, you knew it was going to be suicide. Yeah. But, uh... They went forward and done their job. And your
4: responsibility was, if you were taking the carrier, taking them in and unload them there at the beach as close as you can get them, and you were under fire. I mean, everybody was under oh, yes. fire when they were oh, going yes. in. Yes. As you were unloading them, I'm sure you got to talk to some of the guys. And what was the feeling and the attitude with the
3: guys going in? They had to be under a tremendous amount of stress. Uh, I knew there was a good chance you might be killed, but I right. thought I'm still living and I'll make it. I suppose the attitude that
4: most of them had. And you were responsible for them getting them there as safe as you could under the conditions. That's correct. But you were also in charge of taking care of those that have been wounded,
3: those that have been killed, and made sure that you got we brought them the wounded and the casualties back to England to the hospitals and yeah. um, a morgue there. The first trip we went in, we brought back, I'd say, probably 150 to 200 casualties. Many of them died. Ed Phillips later lived here in Murfreesboro. We were very close friends and uh, put in charge of the death detail. And he was kind enough to volunteer me to help him, which our job was to clean them up when they die, make sure they had a dog tag on them and uh, wrap them in a blanket, put them in a cooler until we get back to England with them, and then unload them and uh, they carry them to a morgue somewhere, I don't know.
4: It's always been important for the United States to get their wounded and the ones that have been killed back. How do you get them from there to the carrier to get them back to the
3: ship? Leave. Army medics would bring them back to us. Any of the ground troops that were there would bring them in to us. Now, we did not go into the beach. I only touched soil one time. That was on the second trip in between unloading and started loading again. We had a few minutes, and uh, I thought, well, I'll just get out and walk on the beach. I went down the ramp and took about uh, eight or ten steps on down the beach a little ways. I heard a boom and looked around, a guy had stepped on a landmine and lost a foot. So I decided right then I would had all the walk. I walked it. I turned around and made sure I stepped at the same tracks I had made going out. Got back on the ship and that was the only time I touched soil on the first trip. But uh, as you said, the second trip I walked the beach with a feeling of safety and uh, security. People, they hear about it, they read about it,
4: but there is no way that you can actually capture what was going on unless you were there it was such an extraordinary time it was an extraordinary time for all kinds of things but the courage of all the men that were there at d-day that that continued on and kept working like you
3: and all the rest of them it just blows my mind sometimes when i think about it i'm not a, a real historian but hitler had started his claim i guess to conquer the world and had taken many of the countries over there. The time had come where it either had to be stopped or else he was going to meet his uh, expectations. We knew that it had to be done, even at 18 years old. I had sense enough to know why I was there, and uh, we could not be a loser. When you enlisted, the war was going on, right? Actually, my birthday was in May, and I knew that I was safe to finish high school. At that time, if your birthday was in April, you didn't even get to finish, I mean day you was 18, you registered for the draft, next bunch that left, you was gone. But I knew that my birthday being in May, I could finish high school before I had to go. I chose to stay and finish high school and go into the draft. They asked me what I wanted, and I told them, Well, well, Army, I guess. They said, well, said, we need you in the Navy. Worse we do the Army. And that's how I got in the Navy. And uh, I was sworn into the Navy and on my way to Bainbridge, Maryland for boot camp. And you got into the medical corps, right? In boot camp, we took various tests, and I made uh, grades that were suitable. They put me in the hospital corps. I went to hospital school for seven eight weeks. We took uh, six courses, anatomy, first aid, minor surgery, uh, medications, uh, six subjects. Each subject was hour long. It was a pretty good course, but it was fast. You had to take it. But when we finished there, then each one was assigned to a hospital for duty. And I was lucky enough to get to come back to Millington. I was there three months, maybe, before we shipped out then to Lido Beach, New York. Then I was there about a month waiting on a ship. Our ship was built in Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville. It was built in the fall of 1943, picked up by a shakedown crew, came round the Ohio River down the Mississippi and around Florida and back up. We went aboard it to Bayonne, New Jersey. From there, our first stop was Boston. We was there two or three days, picked up two or three ships there, and then we went on up to Halifax, Nova Scotia, and there's where we met the main convoy. When we left Halifax, we was there, I guess, close to a week, the convoy forming When we left, I don't know how many was in the convoy, but it must have been somewhere between 75 or 100 ships, because when we'd get on top of a swell, as far as you could see in front and behind us was was ships. But now we had all kinds of cruisers, destroyers, planes with us to protect us. But still at that, every so often, we'd lose a ship. Right. During the night. And we went as far north as we could go on Easter Sunday, 1944. We were in the ice fields, and I saw chunks of ice, big as a small home. And they say you only see one-tenth, nine-tenths of under the water. So you can imagine what size chunks of ice we were. What took the Titanic down? We had to go back to bed, use our bunk straps to hold us in the bunks. Uh, that day, it was so rough. Pieces of ice that floated to the side of you just dunked you. Did you have U boats in that area? No, neither. The submarines and the, they couldn't function all that ice. It, we were safe. But, but as there, you got closer toward France? Yeah, we had to look out for them then. By the time we got into England, they had to come aboard Rewell another week or two. <laughs> we would have. Falling apart out there. That's that's part of the extraordinary thing that happened. I mean, they
4: had you guys. You were in a rush, in a hurry to get trained. Everything was aimed toward that one event. I don't think there'll ever be another time that will be
3: just exactly like that. To move that many people that fast and with one idea, it is almost impossible. To uh, hard to believe that you could ever accomplish it. It had to just be awesome to sit up there and watch all the
4: naval ships and all that was going on at the time. I, I, it would be almost impossible to take it all in. It was something to see. I was
3: fortunate to be able to come back and, and tell about it. You're extremely fortunate to come back because your vessel was sunk. We hit this mine about five miles off of Omaha Beach. We had 145 naval personnel on the ship. According to the naval records that I have, killed 117. It left 28 of us that got off. As far as I know, it was a half dozen or less that got off. It didn't have some kind of an injury, and I was one of them. How were you rescued? I had stayed on the bow as long as I could. It, it was going down. I knew that I drowned if I stayed any longer and i knew i couldn't swim because of the swells it was the beginning of that storm over there and uh, i'd see guys take off and swell come in hit them in the back and knock them under you never see them again so it, it was a choice of whether i going to I'm gonna stay on the ship and drown or, or try to swim and drown but at the last minute one of the other medics boy from down mississippi hollered at me he had got on to a life raft that uh, had been blown off one end was blown off of it, it was all a balsa life raft which floated and he'd he, he said you can't swim out here i said i'll try to get in there to you Well, he started paddling and he did make his way i guess within uh, 15 to 20 foot of me and i said jack i can jump that far and i took off <laughs> made it we put one arm over the raft and we picked up four army personnel two of them was hurt extremely bad Two of them was able to hang on just like we did. That was pretty tough getting out of the water. But we got them out of the water and laid them on the raft. But one of them died on us before we got relief. How long did it take them to get over there to you? You know, I don't know i don't think it was over 30 minutes and i don't think it was less than 15. it's hard to calculate but, time during that but season. it could have been uh, different but we were picked up by a small boat lcvp and uh, the coxswain headed into the beach with us to the first aid station it, it just swells were so rough if he hadn't been a good coxswain we all would have been drowned even then yeah but uh, he was able to hit the waves like you do to survive mm-hmm. And finally, put up alongside a Liberty ship. Asked the old skipper there if he'd take any survivors. He said, "I'll take all you bring me." So with that, they dropped a wire basket down, and we loaded the uh, army personnel in and uh, hoisted them up. And then Jack and myself, they dropped a cargo net over for us, and we caught the cargo net and went up. We stayed on the ship for I don't know three, four, or five days. In the meantime, Ed Phillips, I mentioned before, he had been able to get into the beach where well, they sent a telegram to his mother that he had been wounded in action. His mother called my mother. And when your mom had been told that the ship had gone down? The Red Cross informed them that our ship had been lost and that there was no trace of me, and it was presumed that I was lost in action, even though I was safe. It was several days before we got a message asking if they had any survivors. They radioed back our names, and message came back for us to be ready at 1,300. Another ship was there, picked us up, and we went back into England to an R&R camp stayed there six weeks or so and then we got the orders that we had been taken out of the Navy and put into the Fleet Marines. The Marines had no hospital corps and it was maintained by the Navy. So I headed to the South Pacific along with some 20, maybe 25 others that had been in the same situation, lost the ships, mm-hmm. all medics. But we came back through Norfolk and uh, a doctor there heard it had some survivors. He called us in to examine us, and when he examined me, why well, he blocked orders right then that uh, said my nervous system had been shattered and was unfit for any kind of sea duty for twelve months, and then at that time could be re-examined. I was sent to Great Lakes then
4: talk about did you want to do the 50th anniversary to remember it, and you were saying you just really didn't want to do that.
3: No, and uh, we mentioned the movie Saving Private Ryan. Yes. I didn't want to go through that again. Very realistic. I
4: understand it was. Yes. The 60th came along, and you were still, you know, not really ready to do it. But when this one came along with PBS, we're talking about the 70th anniversary. Uh huh. What made you kind of feel like, Maybe I need to do this. You know, after all that time and all the terrible
3: memories and, and the good memories, too. There's a lot of good memories. Oh, Gosh. I met some of the finest people God ever created. It was Eighteen of us lived in a little compartment there, maybe 12 foot wide at the most and 25 foot Nine bunks on each side. We had no recreational facilities. We had no, how ten- I many decks of cards on one end of the poker game and the other end was a pinocchio game, and you played whichever one you wanted to play. And the only thing we had to do was sit there and talk about our home life and uh, mm-hmm. what we'd done in high school, and we got to be extremely close. All of us was either from Tennessee or Georgia or Mississippi or Alabama. Most of us was within three or four years of the same age. It was never a fight between us or anything. I have a lot of great memories from my time in service. It it wasn't all bad. And one bad day doesn't destroy all your good memories. Did you feel like the trip was almost like a healing for you? I made the trip better than I thought maybe I might. I didn't know what kind of emotions it would bring back. They had told me that they had a submarine that I could go down in and see the ship. I debated about that, but when I got over there, we left, uh, spent the night in Sherbrooke, went down and caught the ship and rode for about an hour and a half back down to Omaha Beach. Mm-hmm. I had some some doubt about it, but by the time we got down there, and stopped over where our ship went down. The cook had fixed some cookies for us and uh, some little snacks. And if uh, we mm-hmm. got through, they said, well, are you ready to go down? I said, yes, let's go. The uh, little submarine was more of an egg shape. I know I had to go up a six-foot stepladder to get to the top to go down into the hatch. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was tight in there, oh, man. Mm-hmm. And the pilot sat behind us with his feet stuck down between us mm. you couldn't set up you had to lay down one end of it was all glass we got in and they closed the hatch took the hoist and lifted us off back down into the water the divers came down and uncoupled the ropes and we was on our own then and we went down uh, 80 feet to we we're right on the bottom of the channel it's sandy just smooth just like the beach but we saw our ship, we saw a couple of tanks that had fallen off, uh, one of them was upside down, tracks had come off of one of the tanks, mm-hmm. our bow door had fallen off, everything was covered over with algae or some type of seaweed or whatever grows on the bottom of the mm-hmm. channel there. But you see the form of everything, and it, it was very plain. Very, there was no doubt, but what, you were looking at the real thing. But, yeah, your uh, memory is very vivid of what you saw there. So they had told me when we went down, said, Now, it's up to you how long we stay down. Whenever you want to come up, let us know. The other boy was over here. He was tremendous talking to me, mm-hmm. and uh, that kept my mind off of the bad things. Mm-hmm. So after a while, I said to well, I believe we've seen it all. They said, yeah, I believe we have. I said, well, I'm ready to go up. So we came up then, and they got us out of the water, and I came out. They told me we'd been down an hour and 15 minutes. I would have thought 15, 20 minutes. I guess it was that interesting that time passed off at time. Yeah, you, were,
4: you were caught up in yeah. the moment.
3: It-, it was a great experience.
4: I'm glad I went. After you were there, and then you went to the memorial
3: where our people are buried. We spent one afternoon there. One of our doctors, the only one off our ship, was buried there. And I saw his grave. Uh, they was filming the whole time we were there. People that were visiting the cemetery there soon realized that uh, something was taking place. But people began to come up and shake my hand and thank me. I've never been treated as nice in my life.
0: Remembering and honoring those who served our country. June the sixth, nineteen forty-four, in Normandy,
2: France, D-Day. <coughs> when a cold comes on strong, knock it out with Vicks Dayquil Severe for max strength daytime relief. Just one dose of Vicks Dayquil Severe starts to relieve nine of your worst cold and flu symptoms. To help take you from nine to none, power through your day with Vicks Dayquil Severe. The daytime, non-drowsy, coughing, aching, fever, sore throat, nine to none, medicine. Use as directed.
0: What's for dinner? Burgers? After last week? No thanks.
2: Avoiding foods due to fear of diarrhea, gas, bloating, stomach pain, or loose oily stools? It may not be just stomach issues. It could be EPI or exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. EPI can cause uncomfortable symptoms because it's a condition where the pancreas doesn't release enough digestive enzymes to break down food. But EPI can be managed. Use the symptom checker on identifyepi.com and talk to your doctor about your symptoms. That's
0: identifyepi.com. Sponsored by Abbey sunrise puffs up above the horizon so glad to see you today i'm amy watson and i'm ben hill welcome to news channel five this morning time to fill your day with something more than a routine this is sky five live as uh, every day there's a brand new skyscraper <laughs> going up this is where we connect come on y'all we are alive we are well we- laugh <laughs> <laughs> See the beauty of the morning. When you look out this morning in that sunrise, you get the prettiest
1: picture. Uh, News
0: Channel 5 helps you out the door. Traffic
1: anchor Rebecca Schleicher joins us now with the latest. The good news is
0: there are pretty easy alternate routes. With something more than news weather and traffic. News Channel 5's Nick Barris is in our Good News Alert Center this morning. (laughs) Take a look right there at this dog. It's something to lift your spirits. Wow. If that doesn't get you going, then we need to have a chit-chat. Ben, Amy, Leland, Nikki D., Rebecca, and Nick. We are here to get you revved up. Going a better day. Wednesday is starts this morning. News Channel 5 this morning.